all the latest business news from WA. Mark my words, your weekly news briefing. Welcome to Mark My Words. I'm Jack McGinn and I'm joined by Simone Grogan, standing in for Mark Bayer and Mark Pownell. Coming up in today's podcast, Woodside's Big Week, Qantas Hearing, Mineral Resources, DeGray, South Perth's Timber Tower latest, and plans for an ex-Premier's house. Simone, how are you? I'm doing okay. We were just discussing my cough that keeps appearing, so I'll try and keep that suppressed, but doing well apart from that. And how are you? I'm really well, thank you. Good, yeah, so, good. Uh, the elephant in the room, or, or not in the room as the case may be, is... Uh, is that both marks are away today. Yes, correct. So, so some well-earned leave, but yep. uh, we're stepping in. So And we'll do our best. Bear with us. Um, should we kick off with Woodside? You've been across the big developments from this week. Let's kick off with Woodside. Woodside has had a big week. It feels like Woodside's had a few big weeks mm. recently, but the, the big news out this week was the overturning of the environmental approval by the federal court uh, of the seismic uh, testing that was going to be carried out at the Scarborough Field. Uh, off the coast of the Burrup Peninsula in the northwest. Woodside was granted conditional approval to undertake this uh, seismic testing by Nopsima, the environmental regulator. The approval was granted with conditions specifically that the company undertake further consultation. Now, there was a traditional owner, Rayling Cooper, and the Environmental Defender's Office appealed the approval uh, basically on the basis that they hadn't been consulted. They didn't feel that they'd been adequately consulted, but also uh, that it was potentially unlawful for the regulator to grant the approval with the condition around consultation. Um, th- this organisation expressed some concerns uh, around seismic's impact on whales particularly and, and marine life. Uh, so the seismic was due to start early in September. We've spoken about this before. There was a temporary injunction placed, but the court heard the matter this week. And in hearing it, uh, I think it was about six hours uh, on Tuesday, followed by a decision on Thursday morning. And it was Justice Craig Colvin who ruled that the approval was unlawful on the basis that it was outside of Nopsima's power as the regulator um, to grant an approval with a condition that further consultation be undertaken. Uh, the decision follows uh, the overturning of a drilling approval on Santos's Barossa project last year due to similar consultation issues. Uh, reached out to Woodside and Nopsima following this. Obviously, not a great decision from Woodside's perspective, having to sort of go back to the drawing board and through that approvals process again. And not great for the regulator either uh, because kind of... You know, it undermines the decision of the regulator mm. when the court comes in and overturns it. Yeah, and the second time. Yeah, the um, second time in in the space of almost six year. months. Yeah, yeah, a bit longer than six months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's within a it's within <clears throat> a year, and it, it's a pretty big setback, I would say. Um, and Woodside had previously said about you know financial implications. Yeah, fin- pretty significant financial implications. You'd mm. have to think mm. um, on the basis that you have to prepare for all this work. They were ready to go. They had, they pulled back based on the injunction. And approvals are factored in as a major part of a project's timeline. Absolutely. And then to have to go do it again, I mean, raises all kinds of, of yeah. problems, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think from Woodside's perspective on this one, I mean, they, they haven't really done much wrong. They've got the regulator approval uh, and then the approval's been overturned. So really, you know, you've got to look at the regulator and making sure that the regulator is meeting the frameworks within the within mm. the, the confines of the law. And they've, I mean, Woodside have as you've reported, hugely um, vocal on 
clarity around environmental approvals and everything. It just seems yeah. to have been a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in yeah. a way. Uh, when uh, when Santos had the decision, they they Woodside came out and said it was stepping up its its consultation process, yes. basically yes. in line with uh, <clears throat> the expectations of the court to make sure that this sort of thing couldn't happen to it. So, what happens from here? Uh, well, they'll go back and back to the approvals process. Uh, Nopsima couldn't really comment because the uh, the ruling that it was invalid meant that, you know, this, this permit's back in, in the approvals process. So, wow. yeah, we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, it'd be interesting, really interesting to see. Yeah, it wasn't all negative news for Woodside this week. There was big news uh, for football fans and... Particularly Dockers fans, particularly, being one yourself. Particularly Dockers fans, <laughs> I, I must admit I am one of those. Uh, Woodside has extended its sponsorship of the Fremantle Dockers for a further two years. So there was a lot of pressure from environmentalist groups and some prominent members of the club yeah. uh, to ditch the sponsorship on the basis... Um, fossil fuels and pollution and all of uh, all of those themes. The club revealed this week that, that it would renew the sponsorship. The sponsorship was due to end at the end of this year. Um, so that reaffirms the partnership. It'll go into a 15th year. Uh, Woodside, as part of that announcement, they committed to supporting the club's expansion of its Indigenous partnership and its growth of Fremantle's presence in the Northwest. So, you know, there's some real community elements to what's been agreed. Presumably, the renewal will mean that Woodside remains on the on the club's Guernsey, so on the, the front of the home strip and the back of the Clash and away strips, uh, as it has been since 2010, uh, the last year of the anchor jumpers. So for those footy fans following at home. But yeah, it, it's a pretty big decision. You may remember last year there was some talk uh, in the Fremantle Council about a potential ban of, of fossil fuel advertising or potential restrictions on fossil fuel yes, advertising yes. In, in the city of Fremantle. Mm. That could have implications for Fremantle's women's team, which is based out of Fremantle Oval. We don't really know. There hasn't really been any updates since that was first mooted late last year. So um, Yeah, and has there been much... I mean, pushback in terms of the... I mean, the decision's been made. Have we heard from anyone, you know, who's pushed back against the decision or expressed their displeasure of the the decision, of the partnership continuing? Depends how long you spend on Twitter. But yes, there there has certainly been been backlash. (coughs) Uh, There's been environmental groups who have criticised it as irresponsible. Mm. Uh, For Fremantle's part, it reaffirmed um, its belief in Woodside's part that it has to play in the energy transition. Mm. So obviously gas being that transition fuel and I think that that's sort of the message that's really been put out around this one. But look, I think it's a it's a good outcome for Woodside and it's a good outcome um, for the Dockers. They get the, the major sponsor back on for another few years. It's just, yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It really is. Now, look, that's, uh, those are the two big bits of news out of Woodside this week. You've been following a little bit around Qantas. What's been happening with Qantas? Mm. So, uh, big news here, I suppose, it was that uh, Qantas chairman and our well-known Perth professional director, <coughs> excuse me, Richard Goider, yes. and his new chief executive, Vanessa Hudson, were called to front uh, the ongoing select committee regarding federal government decisions relating to airports. Uh, the main thrust of this one has been about... Uh, the decision or the federal government's decision to reject Qatar Airways' request to have more flights running in and out of Australia. Um, Numbers around how many were actually rejected are 
conflicting. I read some places it's 21, some 28. Anyway, the, the decision was blocked and there's been a lot of questions asked about that now. It's all kind of come to a head. Well, I've been a whole inquiry set up basically <laughs> about the decision. So, uh, yeah, one big question. Uh, the implica- implication here, it's been suggested that if Qatar had been allowed to have these flights, it could have arguably brought prices down, uh, there'd have been more flight routes. Um, it's also raised questions, particularly from the opposition, about the government's relationship uh, with our national carrier. Of course. And yes. prompted questions about the aviation competition landscape broadly in Australia. And I mean, you couple that with the, gosh, other uh, reputational issues that Qantas has been having the High Court decision to uphold uh, that it had illegally sacked nearly 1,700 workers mm. and as well as the allegations by the ACCC. So uh, we're all quite aware of Qantas's position in the spotlight. So the inquiry has been chaired by Shadow Transport Minister Bridget McKenzie. So she and senators on the committee fired questions to, to Goida and Hudson over about two hours on Wednesday. It was pretty lengthy. Right. Um, they were very hotly anticipated appearance. Obviously, everyone wants to know uh, what they knew or allegedly knew. Um, but Richard Goida was very clear uh, in denying having any interaction with the Prime Minister or any government minister in relation to the Qatar decision. That was established very early on and he was resolute in that, very clear. Um, and then it became, you know, questions about Goida's position as chairman with Qantas. So the TWU secretary called for his resignation uh, when the High Court decision was was upheld. Yes. Uh, well, federal court decisions were upheld, rather, by the federal court. Um, the High Court. Um, and then what followed, the Shareholders Association of Australia called for him to resign recently, as has the Australian and International Pilots Association. Um, but, you know, um, Richard Goida told the Senate committee that he had the support of major shareholders. I mean, you can't, it's hard to argue with that. Um, he backed himself in. Uh, he didn't explicitly say, say, say who had backed him, but pointed to the top 20 shareholders on the register right. who were of the belief Two weeks ago, he said that he was the best person in the job. He said, you know, told the committee if that changes, then then, then that will change, obviously. Uh, he spoke about his history in business. He said, I've had a, you know, um, a career of high ethics. Um, he said he had a strong work ethic when he asked how he balanced all his... his um, Many jobs. Director roles. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A lot. Yeah. Um, Woodside Energy. There we go. Mm. Uh, look, he's been at this game a long time. And, you know, he gave gave him a good razzle-dazzle for any <laughs> Chicago musical fans, but uh, handled it fairly way, well, I mean, I've got to say, as, as you'd expect. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of tough questions asked, and I think it's, you know, interesting to hear how he backs himself in that role. And I was thinking to myself, I mean, who else would take it? I mean, who, else, who else do you put in that position? Yeah. You know, this is a huge company. Yeah. Um, you know, who are we to say who best to be be chairing the company at the time. And if you've got the major shareholders backing, I mean, whether we see it dies down anymore, um, there's not many, much more questions you can ask really of him. Absolutely. Um, so that report's supposed to be, uh, findings from that committee will be handed down in October. So we'll find out more uh, on that front. October is not far away. No, it's not. And a <laughs> quick turnaround. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. West to West Group provides a diverse suite of service offerings across construction, fit-out and maintenance nationally. With over 150 industry professionals, our unique skill set enables us to provide our clients with a one-stop end-to-end solution that incorporates all stages of a project's delivery cycle. At West to West, our partnership culture drives excellence, building trust and strong client relationships. West to West Group, exceeding expectations. 
Discover more at westtowest.com.au. Okay, so moving on to uh, resources now. Uh, yes. The Bald Hill Lithium Mine. Now, this is one of those mines that's like part of the first generation of, of lithium projects that mm. sort of came through. And that first, uh, off the back of, I would say, off that, of that first lithium boom where they, they put the money in and, and um, ran into some some issues. Now, I understand mineral resources had a bit of a win there. Yes. Yeah, great introduction there. That was <laughs> set that up really well. Um, so I guess I'll try and set up a bit more background for, for this development. Uh, so Minres is basically, uh, top line moved a step closer to buying that asset uh, east of Cambalda uh, after the company's owners, which were in administration, were put into liquidation. Uh, so McGrath Nickel were appointed administrators of Alita, which operated the operated Bald Hill uh, in December 2020. As you've just said, uh, this was around a downturn in lithium prices before mm. it you know, went gangbusters. And a US-based Chinese-linked company called Ostroid, which was a secured creditor of Alita, had sought to buy the company uh, and the Bald Hill Mine, but was blocked by the federal government's uh, Foreign Investment Review Board in July this year. Right. So Minres enters the picture, we want to buy it, and McGrath-Nickel are keen to sell it, but they had to obtain a court order to have Alita liquidated in order to make a sale. This was seemingly disputed by Cordamentha, who represented Ostroid, so the failed buyer, who said told the Singapore Stock Exchange a while ago that they'd received you know more than ten approaches from uh, other interested parties in Bald Hill. Um, anyway, the court ordered this week that Alita is to be wound up, is to be liquidated, um, and basically this put Minres in a front row position to buy the asset. So they said at the time that uh, it would pay out the secured debt and acquire Alita's interest in Bald Hill to provide a material return to Alita. So we don't know how much they're paying. Mm. Um, should the court order? Should the court order the? Co- excuse me, should the court order the company be liquidated? So um, we'll see. There's been no news from Minres uh, since the decision, but if we're going to hear anything, we'll, we'll need to hear on it soon. I mean, this will be a material transaction if it's going ahead. Um, and at the same time, uh, Minres has launched a bond raising, as you might call it, up to $1.1 billion US dollars worth of senior unsecured notes offered up to Insto investors to raise cash for general corporate purposes, including capital expenditure. Uh, from a me- memory, they did a similar bond uh, issuing in 2022. Right. So a few bit of action happening there. I'm intrigued to see whether they're going to buy it. It will add, I mean, you would, you would think um, it will add to their, what is a fast-growing lithium business for Chris Ellison and Minrez. Um, we know he stationed himself on the... Uh, Delta Lithium Board yes, a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks back. Um, yeah, so all excitement in lithium. It's been a bu- uh, busy September. Yes, totally. Yeah. And I guess in more capital raising news, I could jump into to the grey mining. So uh, the gold miner, yep. well, sorry, aspiring gold miner. So they kicked off a $300 million cap raise this week in tandem with tabling a definitive feasibility study for the Hemi project in the Pilbara. Uh, it comes about 12 months after they put a pre-feasibility study to the market um, in September last year, outlining plans there. Uh, you'd remember the excitement of when Hemi was discovered. I do recall. In, in yeah. 2020, I think. Yeah, absolutely, and yes. I, it was always a good laugh about the 
hemistyle neurology plays the neurology that, that, I, were, that were birthed following <laughs> following its discovery. I don't know that I've ever seen neurology play out on quite that level as yeah. it seemed to in 2020 because I think it was that perfect combination of uh, a big interest in retail investment on the basis that people have more money coming in um, through stimulus and that sort yeah, of thing. So people true. were inside and yeah, it really just took off the, the neurology. But anyway, what's, uh, what's happening yeah, at Hemi? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, all good. Um, so uh, look, Hemi could be a really significant gold mine for Australia. Um, And DeGray have said that they're in no rush to be uh, developing this. You know, they want to develop it responsibly. They want to take their time and and think about the best way to build it. So this DFS, this study, uh, sets out some more solid numbers and timelines for Hemi. Uh, Construction is expected uh, mid-2024. That'll obviously be pending final investment decision uh, with first gold set to pour in the second half of 2026. Okay. So uh, expected output is going to be on average about 530 ounces per annum over the next 10 years, which puts it pretty high in Australia's um, producing gold mines. It'll be behind Cadia, I believe. Mm. So definitely a a top, you know, top three, top five. Um, uh, And as well as that, you know, they've, They've announced they were raising that three hundred million, so that will cover the costs of long lead items for that for their processing plant, which will be able to process ten million tons per annum. So big, big plant there. Um, what else is good to know about this? Uh, Gold Road Resources. Yes. So they um, another ASX listed explorer. They uh, got their stake in the company uh, in June last year, twenty twenty two, and they've said their stake is strategic, but it's all been quiet on that front. I mean, there's been no. No news there. Anyway, they are subscribing for about 49 million shares under the placement, so they'll keep a, a high spot on the register with about 19.9%. Um, and consistent with other new developments in WA, uh, costs to develop HEMI were quite a bit higher than as uh, planned last year. So plant and site infrastructure is expected to cost about $1.3 billion. It was about a billion last year, so 24% increase on base case estimates, uh, as you'd expect. Um, we are all aware of, of projects and their cost overruns by now. Um, and then probably good to say as well, funding structures for HEMI are yet to be, have, have yet to be finalised. Yes. They're shortlisting some debt providers. They don't know about the debt and equity mix yet. Okay. So um, I think there'd been some expectation that uh, the market had expected to have known that by now based on their previous timelines. But right. uh, look, I think they're very comfortable taking their time as they need to. They've got this DFS. They'll take that to the bank and and see what they can get. Sounds that way. Yeah, look, you touched a little bit on, on uh, costs yes. and, and rolling out projects, yes. um, which maybe leads us a little bit into Liontown and, yeah. and Kathleen Valley. Yep. What, what's going on there? My understanding was that Albemarle was pretty keen and sniffing around. Yes, yes. So they, so they opened up a data room for them. So now Albemarle's presumably doing its due diligence and, and figuring all that out. Mm. Uh, a few bits and pieces, I guess, uh, the Main news is that Hancock has uh, bought more shares. Hancock Prospecting, right. Gina Reinhardt's Hancock Prospecting has bought more shares in Liontown. So it's gone from a 7.7% stake to 107 uh, This was announced earlier this week. Uh, it paid about $3 for the shares, um, which it had bought um, across several on-market transactions since September 12, uh, the day after it first confirmed its stake in the company. Um, so we're no clearer as to what as to what the intentions are there. They've maintained the investment is strategic, again, and that it's keeping a long-term approach to its investments and commodity markets. Uh, Liontown's been very quiet, as you'd expect. They're just kind of uh, staying out of it. Um, uh, but, you know, it's interesting. Hancock has previously said they might use its stake to have a board position. Um, and they've also been quite uh, forthright in um, 
expressing purported concerns about Kathleen Valley um, and that it still carries production and operating cost risk, blah, blah, blah. Very interesting. Yeah. And then I guess uh, it fits in well with the fact that, uh, again, cost to build Kathleen Valley, they've gone from uh, they're just shy of the $1 billion mark now we've learned this morning. Um, worth remembering the project was set to cost about $450 million when it was first announced. So, I mean, what can you do at this point? Everyone just is kind of accepting the fact that this is this is the environment we're in. Um, but anyway, they've awarded all major contracts. They said they're on track for first spod, spod you mean, uh, by mid-2024. So we await and see the progress there. Um, lots more to come, I'm sure. Plenty more to come. Yeah. And, and first spod you mean by mid-next year, that's that's. Yeah, I know. I keep saying, yeah, 2024. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah a lot sooner than, than we think. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how they go there. Interesting. Um, anyway, that's probably enough for me, enough for <laughs> resources. Um, great story this week uh, about South Perth's, and we call it the Timber Tower. The Timber I don't Tower. think it is called the Timber Tower, but that's what we call it. Um, what What has been going on with this new proposed development? The Timber Tower, yes. So Mark and I spoke last week around the Timber Tower. There's been a new development in this story, uh, last update was that the South Perth Council had recommended against its approval on the basis that it didn't qualify for design excellence under the Tier 2 um, category that they were looking at, which would have meant that it could be built you know, as tall as they wanted to build it if it, if it met this design excellence thing. So the, the advice from Council was against that. Uh, this is a development, of course, by Grange Development Consulting. It's a hybrid tower that's... Uh, on Charles Street in South Perth. Um, the plans were approved this week at a Metro Inner South uh, Joint Development Assessment meeting, which uh, comes despite, yeah, the city, city as I mentioned, recommending against the approval. Mm. So this is a 51-storey tower. It's 237 apartments. It's 42% timber. Mm. I um, mean, it would be a significant development anyway. Huge. Let alone the fact that it's going to be built of... Timber. Of timber. A bit. Of timber, yes. Yeah, partly. 42. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that, that's a significant amount. And, they, and you know, they're really pushing this timber angle. So they're saying 600 seeds is what it will take to grow the timber. And then you okay. can then you can replant, obviously. So that's that's the angle they're going going with. So Grange founder James Dibble was quoted in Claire's story this week mm. uh, with this, this fantastic bit. You know, you can't grow concrete. Yeah, right. So, Quite enjoying that. Yeah. I quite and, enjoyed that that line. And sustainable developments in property a big a big item. I mean they've not quite it's not quite at the forefront yet, but it's certainly, you know, if you, you know, are interested in property, it's a big topic about, you know, how can we make buildings more sustainable and, and what's being done on that front. So I actually yeah. noticed walking down the terrace uh, this week that there was an ad for uh, wood as a building product. So, yeah. you know, it's historically not something I think that Western Australia has used very well or made full effect of right. we've been that double brick that double brick state for a long time but maybe attitudes are starting to change and this uh this tower designed by ellenberg fraser uh as i said on charles street um yeah it got the uh it got the tick from the development assessment meeting so we'll see what comes in that story next so process wise do we know where that leaves them I'll have to come back to you on that yeah, one. Yeah, fair. Might leave that one to, to our property writer to confirm. I may have to ask it's a mi- It's a minefield understanding that the, the approvals process is in WA. Um, yes. Yeah, no, fair enough. On property 
related news, ex-Premier's house uh, to become a heritage diner. This this is an interesting story. Yeah, I like this one. It's something a little lighter that we could probably finish on. It's, yeah. uh, it's a 135-year-old homestead in the Shire of Murray that could potentially become a, a, a diner. Now, the, it's called Ellenvale Homestead, and it was once the home of the former Premier Sir Duncan Ross McClarty, who was a Premier during the 1940s. Oh, wow. Okay. So he was in the Parliament. Oh, when I looked at the, the dates, it was like... He got voted in in the early 30s and then he was there until the early 60s. So, you know, oh, wow. a, a huge parliamentary career spanning many decades. But this this building was once his family home. It's, it's been put by the Shire of, of Murray out for a call to turn it into a hospitality venue. Uh, so there's a bit going on in the Shire of Murray around this sort of thing. They've got the Bullers, who are famous for the work that they did on the National Hotel on the Old courthouse in Fremantle and they're redeveloping the Exchange Hotel so uh, a few of their projects really have been sort of that redevelopment faithful to the heritage of the building and that sort of thing so they're involved there and and yeah they're putting a call out for the Edenvale homestead to maybe be redeveloped into something where people can go have a meal in in a former premier's uh, house could be a project to watch. Yeah and what so was that proposed somewhere or has that just been... Yeah, so they, they've they've uh, put a call out for uh, applications. Interest. Yeah, gotcha. Oh, okay, to see what we can... Oh, see what we can do with it. But it's, it's a beautiful house. You know, the, the photos, it's just one of those classic, classic heritage designs. So it'd be really interesting to see what comes of that. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, Simona, look, I think that's probably all from us this week. We're back to regular regular scheduling next week with, with the marks. Returning Return. for, for next Friday, mark my words, all back to normal after several weeks of disruption. Who allowed them to go and leave? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think they've earned it. But, yeah. uh, look, thank you for joining me and thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au.